I'm Dalton Dale, music enthusiast on a mission to learn about my favorite genre, heavy metal. Join me as I listen through and learn about the history of heavy metal music. We'll be talking about bands, albums, songs, and historical events that helped create the metal music genre as we know it today. This is The Evolution Podcast. Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to the Evolution Podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Dale. Glad to be joining you today. Thank you all for another tremendous week. Uh, we're climbing in listens and we're climbing in followers, and I am so incredibly grateful for it. I'm excited to be back with you guys this week. We covered ACDC, Back in Black, last week, a pretty monumental album. It was really critical to mainstream success for ACDC. They had already been seeing a lot of success early on, and then Bon Scott passed. And Back in Black featured the introduction of Brian Johnson, uh, their longtime singer. So that was a really good album to listen to. Uh, definitely had a lot to bring to the table and was a really big catalyst for a lot of heavy metal at the time. And the band as a whole really influenced a lot of artists that were doing things at the time. We got introduced to the Filthy 15, a list of the 15 dirtiest songs of the time put together by the PMRC. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But yeah, overall, good listen, good week, and excited to jump into this week. So as we get in, let's review the timeline, right? We started back at Black Sabbath. We're going through the history of heavy metal. I'll be talking about information that I'm learning as I go. I'm new to this. I am familiar with a lot of the artists that I'm listening to, but I'm not intimately familiar with their catalog. Uh, when I say I'm familiar, it's more I know the name, I know their hits. Um, some of these guys I've never even heard of or listened to ever before, at least not knowingly. And just going through the journey of exploring the history of heavy metal for myself, learning about this for myself, and sharing what I learned along the way. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're currently in the early 1980s, a time for classic heavy metal to come to the forefront. Classic heavy metal, I think, would best be defined as the most polished version of what new wave of British heavy metal established. So, you know, again, a move away from minor chords into more major scales, moving into key and chord progressions that are not as bluesy sounding uh, as a lot of rock and hard rock was for the time, and really working into layered instruments, guitar work, uh, more intricate bass work, uh, more intricate drum work, Vocal range is a lot more upper register, um, so you're talking like head voice, uh, really out of the chest, high pitch, high range type vocals, made notable by guys like Rob Halford, Bruce Dickinson, some of those, and an increase in tempo. Uh, a lot of that was marked through Motorhead, through the new wave of British heavy metal era and increasing speed, which a lot of that was derived out of late 70s punk and the punk scene. People are really starting to hone in on that specific sound in the early 80s, 
and carve out its own niche and its own place in the music timeline. And that is where we get classic heavy metal. So we've talked Black Sabbath, later Black Sabbath featuring Dio. We've talked ACDC. We've talked Iron Maiden. And this week we are going back to a band that was critical and a key success for the new wave of British heavy metal in Def Leppard. Def Leppard in particular, we're talking their second album, High and Dry. Uh, It's been a really good listen, so let's jump in. Def Leppard's High and Dry was released July 6, 1981. This is their second album. Uh, It follows On Through the Night. On Through the Night was their first album that was the big contributor into New Wave of British Heavy Metal. A lot of people probably don't know about this album. This album sounds so drastically different from everything that made Def Leppard popular for their time, uh, which happened little later, not later 80s. It happened 83, 84 with the release of Pyromania and Hysteria. And that's where a lot of their hits, radio hits came from that most people are familiar with as it relates to Def Leppard. Uh, In fact, I was talking with my dad about New Wave of British Heavy Metal and mentioned Def Leppard and On Through the Night, played it for him. I mean, you go listen to it. It sounds like a totally different band. I covered that in my Reels TikTok series about a year ago, if not a little less than that, you can go find that in my TikTok page. I'm still working through getting all my reels uploaded on the Facebook page, but uh, it's a really good album and features some really great tracks. Wasted uh, is, a, is a one that stands out to me, has a little bit of that Motorhead vibe to it. It's really upbeat and fast paced. Title track for High and Dry was on the Filthy 15. So as I mentioned, The Filthy 15, this was the 15 most filthy or naughty songs that were floating around in the early 80s, and Def Leppard made the list. I mentioned last week it featured bands like Judas Priest and Twisted Sister and Wasp, ACDC for one of their songs from last week. So that group, the PMRC, is responsible for why we see parental advisory stickers on albums today. This album reached number 38 on the Billboard charts, and it was double platinum in sales. So it's had over 2 million in sales, which is just really a big feat, especially considering this isn't even their peak. This is just their second album, and and it's double platinum. So that was wild to me. I'm going to hit you with some quick hits. want to thank Ashley, my wife and executive producer, for helping me find some of these. She's been getting involved in the last few weeks, and it's been a lot of fun to collaborate and work with her on it. It's adding a different layer to what I'm finding about what I'm listening to that I hope you guys will all really enjoy. Number one, recorded and produced right after Mutt Lang finished recording Back in Black. As I mentioned last week, Mutt Lang was a key contributor to Back in Black's success, He jumped out of the studio from recording Back in Black and went right into helping record and produce High and Dry. Number two, Mariah Carey actually covered the song Bringing on the Heartbreak. Uh, This (laughs) was not a popular version amongst fans of the band, metal fans in general. Uh, Joe Elliott had some really good things to say about it, though, saying that he really feels like she honored the heart of the song and did a solid job. 
I think that that's a pretty high compliment coming from Joe, the lead singer of Def Leppard. And I don't really know how much more you could ask for than that. Uh, but it was even featured on VH1's Least Metal Moments. And yeah, it unfortunately, that's probably going to be how it lives down in history. Number three, Bringing on the Heartbreak was actually one of the first hard rock heavy metal videos featured on the newly launched MTV. Now, I'll rewind a little bit because last week and the week before, I talked a little bit about the early 80s and what was happening at the time politically, socioeconomically, that really made a big push for heavy metal to gain a lot more momentum for this time. And a big part of that was the increase in digital media and other platforms and other means to be able to get media. You know, your record stores are becoming a lot more prominent. You've got music magazines that are being distributed a lot more in the States. The internet comes along and albeit it's not a household staple at this point or even close to that, it will become a big part of music and what helps drive music and, and push music to new levels. And then you've got the first mobile phone. I mean, we're really in the early 80s entering the digital age. And MTV's launch is going to be a very, very big topic, I feel, as we move through the 80s. It was first aired in 1981. I actually read that it happened after midnight. And they played a video or song, uh, Video Killed the Radio Star. This was a time period where radio was king, radio charts. And it was all about how many plays you could get on the air and how many songs you could get to hit the billboard charts in plays. And all of those things were the key contributors to band success. With the advent of MTV coming around, I think that that will end up playing a huge part in 1980s music as well as music moving forward and even into the early 2000s and its success early in its launch it was a lot of soft rock and early 80s hits uh, featured on the on the channel um, they had a lot of early success but then they saw a pretty large drop in viewership after they rolled out and had to kind of rework their strategy a little bit I think at the time you had um, a lot of soft rock coming out of the 70s that was really popular and, and that was a big part of what drove what MTV wanted to do. And when viewership started to drop, they realized they needed to expand their audience and they introduced a lot of R&B artists. So Michael Jackson ended up, early Madonna, Duran Duran. I mean, these are these are names that are huge now but at that point in time we're just kind of getting things going michael jackson not as much he was obviously he was very popular in that time and and in 1982 he'll release thriller which will propel him to we talked last week that album is number one all-time sales worldwide so we kind of know how that goes but there's a lot of belief that the rise of mtv and Def Leppard's change in style between On Through the Night out to Hysteria, their fourth record, is what led to their mainstream success. And I'll talk about that sound a little bit as we dig into the album, but I feel like that, again, MTV and video plays 
became a contributing factor to uh, even metal as a whole being seen because you have a time period where we move into uh, really prominent music videos and video metal. And then you get into glam metal and glam rock where aesthetics and appearance was the biggest factor for a lot of those bands, uh, Poison and, and some of those that, you know, really helped bring heavy metal to the forefront. So I can't say enough really, I think what about what MTV did for heavy metal. And I am confident that this will not be the last time that we're talking about that and their influence there. So let's dig into the album a little bit. Um, this album, like I mentioned, was produced by Mutt Lang. Mutt Lang ended up going on to produce another album or two by Def Leppard and was pretty influential in a lot of people's writing and recording. I was reading about Mutt a little bit, and he has the tendency, based on feedback from artists who've worked with him, to really dig in deep with artists. His work ethic is is really high, and he also has the tendency to um, come in and sort of overwrite and, and make decisions for the band that push them in some different directions that maybe are good for them, maybe they're not. It's hard to say. This is a, still a time where record labels kind of own, you know, everything. Even today, it's hard for artists to really own a lot of their stuff. You've got the the recent Taylor Swift, you know, happenings that with all of her albums. And I think that overall, Mutt was a really successful producer. And that's why they kept going back to him is because the band was seeing success. Ultimately, you know, bands are a business and they need to make money. And if they're seeing success, that's why they're going to keep going back to it. Overall, they started to sound a little bit more radio friendly, uh, getting into that 80s video rock and, and metal sound that I mentioned a little bit earlier. As, as you kind of go through the early 80s, you have this introduction of glam metal and video metal and all of those uh, sounds and styles that end up really becoming more commercially successful for heavy metal and hard rock as a whole. Uh, again, all of that, I feel like, plays into the success and the momentum that heavy metal gains through the 80s. And even when you get into bands that will cover through the thrash metal time period of uh, Slayer and Anthrax and Metallica and Megadeth, the big four, that really introduced that much heavier sound and that faster pace, just harder sound. I think that that's why those bands got what they got is because of bands like Def Leppard, because of bands like ACDC. These are all gateway bands that help lead people to bands like Metallica and some of those. So overall, um, you know, those are just, just some of my thoughts on some of that. Let's talk the album as a whole, high and dry. Um, I made some notes as I was listening to this. The very first thing that I noticed was there was a pretty notable change in Joe Elliott's vocals. Now, that is what really set me off, I think, from On Through the Night was Joe's vocals. Joe, I when I listened to On Through the Night, and I called this out in that video, I had to go look up if that was even the same lead singer that Def Leppard had for 
you know, all of their other hits, pour some sugar on me and photograph and, and all of those, because it just didn't even sound like the same person to me. But I went and I looked it up and he's been the lead vocalist for the entirety of, of the band. That really caught me off guard when I started on through the night. Well, when I booted up high and dry, there's a notable change. It's got a raspiness quality to it. His vocal patterns are a little bit more choppy and syncopated versus on On Through the Night, he was a lot, a little bit smoother in his uh, rhythms and melodies and a little bit more in his head voice in On Through the Night. And so I think that going through recording this album is part of what helped develop his vocal style that brought them a little bit more mainstream success and got them a little bit more attention. I actually, um, my wife found a video on YouTube. Go check it out. We just watched it and listened to it for a little bit, but it's a high and dry Q and a, uh, with Joe Elliott. Uh, you can find that, um, and watch that for a little bit more intimate look into it. He talks about Mutt's coaching in vocal abilities and how that helped him become a, a, a different or better singer in his opinion. And, uh, he also just shares a lot about the recording process and the everything that they went through as it related to getting this album down and released. So highly recommend that. It was a pretty interesting listen. Going into some of the songs, Lady Strange, there was a really, really great dual guitar intro to that. I mean, as soon as it started, it just really caught my attention. And I think that this is just so on point for classic heavy metal of the time. Dual guitars, these you know, intricate harmonies and sort of dancing melodies where these guitars are layered in with each other. And in one article that I read about the album, it even talks about Def Leppard's other member, which was just the guitar work itself singing. And I, I felt that when I listened through this album and in particular in that intro to Lady Strange, it, definitely had a quality to it that caught my attention. And I feel like this is a, a band with, with members who are really honing in on their craft. Now, coincidentally, one of the guitar players leaves after this album. It's the last album that they record with him. Um, but their, their primary guitar player, Steve stays with the band, uh, until he, uh, is let go or leaves the band a little bit later on. And then unfortunately passes away. But, I feel like that was a another notable sound to he classic heavy metal of the early 80s was the guitar work. Again, shifting from uh, riffier, choppy style and more syncopated type stuff to really more straightforward guitar scales and guitar work. Uh, it's a little bit louder and a little bit more pronounced through most things. And I think that that is uh, definitely a signature of classic heavy metal for the time. On Through the Night, uh, a later track on the album, that is one of the more, to me, heavy metal and even new wave of British heavy metal sounding songs on the track or on the album. I, I actually really enjoyed it. Again, I, I talked about how much I enjoyed the album On Through the Night. You can find where they're talking about they thought it would be interesting. The guitar player thought it'd be interesting or cool to have two title tracks on the album. And so that's why they ended up doing on through the night. And Joe talks about that a little bit in that YouTube video that I was talking about, but 
overall, it has such a really great sound to it, and I think easily could have fit onto the album On Through the Night. It wasn't recorded at all during those sessions. It actually didn't really have anything to do with that album other than by name. They just thought it would be neat to have a title track named from their first album, uh, which is definitely a, a more unique thing to do. Another hit and run. Uh, there's a moment... I, I made a very specific point to jot this down because I, I went back and I listened to it multiple times and it just gave me goosebumps. But if you go to four minutes and 12 seconds, everything kind of fades out a little bit. And then you hear this count in in the back and the whole band comes back in in force. I mean, all of a sudden you've got this just it's just this sort of bridge part and it just kind of dwindles down and dwindles down and then you hear deep in the background i again i went back and i listened to it again because i thought man is that could i hear that and i i just think that that's so cool to hear those little bits and pieces from the recording studio and how things like that made it into tracks of the time now bands will do that and they'll incorporate it on purpose i think that is just this sort of remnant left over from the recording and how analog recording was for the time and just how you were only able to edit out so much as far as noise goes with a lot of that stuff. And so go check that part out. It, that song overall just has some really great uh, sound and I really like the style. As I wrap up my thoughts here, I want to talk about what I thought was the most interesting. As I was listening to the album, I kept thinking to myself, this just sounds really familiar. The guitar work, uh, the song structure sounds really familiar. And uh, as I've gone through this process of listening to a lot of these bands, I've really tried to think about who do I listen to now that's been influenced by these bands? Who do I listen to that may have taken parts or learned and grown up with these bands? And... All of a sudden, I was reminded of a traditional heavy metal band that a friend of mine, Dakota, introduced to me last year, Summerlands. They are a traditional heavy metal band from the modern era. They're based out of Philadelphia. They put out an album last year called Dream Killer, and it is so phenomenal. I, I think as soon as he told me about that, I think I listened to that album top to bottom probably 20 times. And the guitar work is so familiar to this album, High and Dry. And I would be so interested to find out. I should just ask Dakota. He, I'm pretty sure, knows one of the guys. But I would be so interested to find out how influenced they were by a band like Death Leopard from this time period. And to know what other bands might have influenced it. But Summerlands, S-U-M-E-R, L-A-N-D-S, Dream Killer. They've got a few other albums. Again, just a very, very good modern classic heavy metal band, traditional heavy metal band. There's been this sort of resurgence of traditional heavy metal uh, in the last 10 years or so. New wave of traditional heavy metal is what they're calling it, where 
bands are going back to that early 80s style and and going back to a time where there's no harsh vocals and you know it's emphasizing the guitar work and emphasizing the layering of all the instruments and emphasizing all of those sounds that became popular in the early 80s and i think that that's really cool to see this sort of revival of sound from that time period whether you're passionate about that style of music or not you see a lot of recycled stuff through modern popular music and some of it can be really good but a lot of it is just taking snippets or sound bites and then repurposing them for whatever that artist wants to do where i really appreciate the idea of taking a specific sound from a certain era and giving that new life revitalizing it not through samples and sound bites and clips but actually learning that style and honing in on that specific style and sound and then breathing new life into that. And I think Summer Lanes has been a great example of doing that. Overall, high and dry, super fun listen. Again, surprising in a few different ways in that there's a change in style you can hear, and that'll get fully fleshed out through Pyromania and Hysteria and sort of morph Def Leppard into that 80s rock band that most people know and love. And some sounds and styles that harken back to on through the night that were really nice and gave a different layer of Def Leppard as they're starting to figure out their sound. Let's move into the last of this week's episode where I'm going to talk about a little bit about what I've been listening to. I'm recording this on a Friday, so it's actually release Friday. My release radar was not great. I primarily listened through Spotify I had a couple tracks on there that were pretty good, but mostly what I've been listening to this week is going back through my favorite band, Under Oath. They are one of the early post-hardcore screamo bands that I got into. They are a definitive metalcore band from the early 2000s and a revolutionary band in the way that they changed the sound of metalcore and post-hardcore at the time. And I went back and was listening to their Only Chasing Safety and Define the Great Line and my favorite album, Lost in the Sound of Separation, and had those on a lot this week and was just reminded of why I love that band so much. As for today, I think I looped the new Silent Planet song, Antimatter, probably 20 or 30 times today. It is so good. You really should go check it out. It is like hauntingly beautiful with these really cool layered synth parts and these really subtle, clean vocals mashed up against these really, really heavy moments. It's just a really good uh, single. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. I have had a great time doing this. This has been a really fun project to go through and to share my experience with you. I'm really excited. I am prepping my next episode, and it's going to be my first interview with a local up-and-coming star. Uh, He's a young man that I have been introduced by way of his parents, and he is doing some really cool stuff learning guitar and 
just absolutely killing it. And I'll be setting up an interview with him in the next week or so. I'm excited to do that. It'll be a little bit of a different uh, style and a little bit of a different, uh, you know, break from the, the, what I've been listening to looking forward to it. It's going to be really good. So stay tuned for that one. Thank you again. Please like share, subscribe if you can, uh, also pass it around to your friends, leave a five-star review for me. If you like it, if you don't like it, leave a five-star review and tell me why you don't like it. That's, that's fine. I'd at least leave a five-star review and be productive. I, Learned this last week that I charted at one point number 70-something on Music History Podcast Charts on Apple Podcasts, which is just crazy to me that I could chart even that high. So uh, those ratings really, really make a big difference. Also, if you want to support the podcast, there's a link in the bio and on the episode description on Spotify. You can contribute there. I really appreciate all of you. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great week. We will see you next time.